Welcome to the Home Seeker podcast brought to you by Wealth HQ, where we empower and educate first home buyers on their journey towards home ownership. I'm your host, Blandon, and today we have a special guest with us, Andy Turner, one of the directors and senior advisors at Wealth HQ. He's going to bring a wealth of knowledge today and share his experience in the first home buyer market. In this episode, we'll be discussing whether it's a good time to buy, because this is what everybody's thinking about, exploring the current trends and addressing some common trends struggles faced by first home buyers and uncovering valuable solutions to help you navigate the market. If you're ready, then let's dive in and gain some insights from Andy. Welcome. Thank you, Landon. Awesome. Awesome. Good to have you. So this is a question that everybody's been thinking about. Is it a good time to buy a home? What are the things that you need to consider? Perhaps you could start off with sharing with some of the trends you're seeing on the front end. You deal with a lot of first home buyers. Is it a good time to buy right now? Fantastic question, Landon. I get this on the daily, a lot of clients are asking the exact same thing. And I see on social media a lot people saying that it's not a good time to buy. But, you know, I look at the stats on a daily and a weekly and the stats are telling us a different thing. But I actually want to ask you a question here. If you could choose, what would you do? You purchase your first home when interest rates are low, but property prices are high, or when interest rates are high and property prices are low? Well, that's a lot to take in. But to me, if you're asking me specifically, I would say it's irrelevant to me because I would buy in any market. It doesn't matter if interest rates high or low because in both markets, there are advantages. And to me, it's actually more important about the deal that I'm buying, whether or not I can buy it at a very good price and I'm I'm buying a property or an asset that has long-term value. Okay, Bladen, you've been doing this for five, 10 years already. So let's take a step back there. Um, if you didn't have the wealth of knowledge that you do have today, what one would you choose? I would say when the price is naturally lower. So the chance of me making a mistake is much lower. So when prices be on the lower side, traditionally interest rate have the opposite effect to properties, right? If interest rates high, prices are low. So naturally right now, because interest rate are close to peak with a lot of economists saying, then prices naturally would be a bit lower. So the chance of making a mistake is a bit lower as well. I would agree because it provides opportunity. It provides opportunity with properties and capital gains and the market's a little bit different. There's not as much demand out there. Now, I'll give you a few facts here and some stats that we have been looking at. So for the month of January to March in 2023, first home buyers made up 25% of the buying market, which is a massive amount. That's been incrementally on the increase throughout the months prior to that, which is awesome. So that is telling us that they're active in the market. So they are seeking opportunity and the opportunity is there. That's in all major centers as well. Hamilton is the strongest at 33% of all purchases were first home buyers, which is an awesome, awesome stat. Wellington also at 30%. So that shows us there's a lot of activity in those markets. The awesome thing about this is that 75% of those purchases were all standalone properties. They weren't townhouses, they weren't apartments, they were standalone properties, which also creates opportunity. And you know all about opportunity in standalone properties and, and seeing that for uh, leverage down the line as well. So that's, I think, a really good idea or a really good trend, I should say, that shows us that first home buyers are, are definitely active. Now, that also comes, I think, in relation with median prices, right? The average price in which someone can expect to pay in one of these areas. Now, Hamilton down 11.4%. Wellington down 18.8%. Waitakere in Auckland down by 15.1%. Manukau 
down 15.1%, and the last one, Papakura, down 16.7%. So the median, just in Auckland alone, for an example, gone from 1.04 million to 885,000. So I pose the question again, is it a good time to purchase a property for a first-time buyer? I would say yes. Yeah, definitely. Did they also have the stats on the total amount of buyers in the market, or is it sort of just giving you the percentage of what's in currently on the market? It is giving us the percentage of sales that have happened in the quarter one, January to March, end of March, is just giving us the stats of that. Yeah, that's definitely an important stat. Is the median don't necessarily tell us that property prices have come down by that much, no. but it tells us that this is the bracket that people are wanting to buy, and you could buy properties in this sort of price range a lot easier, which I guess if you look at most first home buyer, their approval is around that amount, you know, six, 700,000 plus their deposit of 10, 15%. It, it does make a huge difference when there are more choice on the market. What I think is, is extremely important as well is because there's opportunity, because the purchasing has slowed down, there is opportunity out there, but first home buyers don't have to think about, man, I need to get a million bucks to buy a house. It doesn't necessarily need to be that. We need to focus on living within our means to begin with us Kiwis, not all Kiwis, but a lot of people do like to live outside their means. And I think dining back and just thinking, this is our first home. How are we going to leverage off this in the future? So buying something with maybe a little bit more land that you might be able to utilize down the line or building something that you might be able to get some rental income through flatmate or tenants or even like a home and income like I purchased for my first home. So there are options in the market for people to also get ahead and not just say, first home buyer, that's all I want to have a little box. We want to be able to maximize that down the line. So most certainly opportunity. And to answer your question, I definitely think it's a great time to buy for first-time buyers if they're in the position to do so. Yeah. And I always tell clients and encourage them to think that, hey, your first home is not your last. So if you buy an asset that's going to have better long-term value, opposed to like, well, you can't really buy your dream home as your first one anyway, right? You're always compromising. And then later on, you have to upgrade. But the upgrade is the thing that's going to be the most costly. Because if you don't get the capital gains that you should be getting because you bought a better or worse asset, then the upgrade's going to be a bit harder as well. So as a first home buyer, it's sometimes better to put on an investor hat on and just think about, okay, well, what would make a good investment? I definitely think that's a key aspect as well, because as a first home buyer, you're not thinking about that. And I can say that because I obviously I bought my first home a couple of years ago and had a bit of help getting in that just through education because I wasn't really my background at that point in time. But what I learned was getting in the door, looking at opportunities it's first home buyers doesn't mean that you get the worst properties on that street or available, right? It's about looking at what is the future goal? Like where do you want to go in this journey? Do you just want one home? Do you want multiple homes? Do you want to pay your mortgage off faster? That's also a consideration when you are looking at buying a first home. It's not just the now, it's okay, where do I want to be in five years and how do I get there? That's great advice, Andy. One of the biggest challenges that we seek for first home buyers is always saving for a deposit. Are there any creative approaches or financial tools that they can utilize and accelerate their savings and achieve their goals faster? There are three easy ways to do this, I think. The first one is accessible through your main bank and it's as simple as a term deposit, okay? If you've got cash sitting in the bank and you maybe it's an emergency fund or you have an idea to use this money towards a first home, if you put it in a term deposit, right now you're getting 5.8 plus percent right over a 12-month period. That's better than what it has been in the last 12 months. So if you want to lock your money away and get a, at least a little bit of a return on your investment... And 
and not use it, that would be the first thing that you could do really easy. That's not really a hack. It's available for anyone to do and that's only if you're not going to be using that money anytime soon. The second one is the likes of money management tools like we have at Wealth HQ. That's all about learning the income allocation theory to maximize either your emergency fund or your deposit. Trying to figure out exactly where your money is going and how to build up that deposit quicker. And the third one is KiwiSaver, right? Most people invest in it. If you have a full-time job, you're most likely having your employer invest in that. So I definitely recommend having a fund review because that is a massive, massive part. Your contribution review, so your 3% contribution, 4, 6, 8, 10, to generate uh, greater returns. And the last one is voluntary contributions. And I just want to touch on the voluntary contributions because people out here or listening to this podcast might do this or they've been thinking about it and not know what the difference could be. So I want to run a scenario past you right now. Pretend you're trying to buy your first home in five years. I know that's a little bit away, but five years time and you're currently 30 years old. You're employed earning, say, $70,000 per year. If your Kiwi balance is, say, let's just say $40,000, and you're in a typical balanced fund contributing 3% and your employer's contributing 3%, okay? In that five years' time, you could expect to have around about 69000 at current rates where, where we're at. Imagine if you topped up each week by $50, voluntary contribution. You go from 69000 a year to $83,000 a year in five years' time. The compounding effect there allows you to only put $50 away a week and generate more through your KiwiSaver. Now, if I knew that five years ago when I was trying to buy my first home, I would have most certainly done that. And that was when, you know, back then, the returns were a little bit higher as well. We are moving in, but we need to first understand how much are we putting away? What can we afford to put away? Is our employer going to match whatever contribution we have or is it only going to be 3%? The fourth one, the most important is where is my money being invested? Am I in the right fund or am I still in the default fund which have you know secure but low returns? And then fundamentally, this all comes down to your journey. How far away are you from purchasing a property? Which obviously one of the management tools that we work with at Wealth HQ do give you an exact timeline for you to purchase a property. So the tools are out there for people to be able to use. A lot of them are free as well and you can leverage or use a special to really help you get ahead. Even when you're just at the starting uh, starting blocks, you might be 25 younger. You might be 35 or 40 and just come home and might not have been in the position earlier. But the help that you can get to try and understand how you can use your money better, I think is something or a lever which someone could pull on to really maximize their deposit in the years to come. Yeah, that's awesome. And one thing I notice is that, I don't know if I'm speaking like generally here, but when I see a European family, like a Kiwi family typical Pakia, Yep. yep. <laughs> we want to try VP PC here. Uh, PC, yeah. For you guys, did you move out of home quite early on and, and, and try to, you know, be more independent? Yeah, look, I immigrated from Scotland when I was four. I've lost everything accent-wise and all of that. We did. I, I moved out of home when I was 21. Definitely at the displeasure of my mother. She wasn't too happy. She wanted to have me on. She wanted to keep keep hold of her, her youngest. But I moved out and I think it was really good for me. But at the same time, I, yeah, I wouldn't say lost my way per se, but I think I lost some really good opportunities of learning from my parents at that young age as well. But yeah, I went out there, I did my thing. And yeah, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. So it's good that you, you say that because I think for the listeners who are Asians and Pacific Islander or, or you know Middle Eastern family, often they, they stick together for a long time. They stay home for a lot longer. It's just part of our culture if you're from that part of the country. And so what happens is if you just look at your own KiwiSaver, it's like 20, 30,000. You know, you've got brothers and sisters and cousins. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, you're like, hey, you've got 30,000. I've got a job. I've got 30,000. I've got a job. And then he's got 30,000. And then suddenly put that all together. It's 100,000. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's, that's great deposit to work with, right? And banks like Kiwi Bank is quite good for multi-household because they kind of want you to do it that way where you are planning to live together. That application might not be welcome with a lot of the banks, but working with Mortgage HQ, which is a sister company for Wealth HQ, that's what we can offer you as well, Kiwi Bank, which uh, we can guide you through that process. And I, I think that's a really good option if people are trying to get into it at first home. Definitely. And it's not, not even just the family side of things, right? So going back, I know the obviously Pacific Islanders and Asians and the Indian community and a lot of other communities out there definitely utilize their family. But the other way to do it is also utilizing your friends. Right now, we have had that. I know a friend of mine I play football with. I was talking to me uh, last year about Wealth HQ and Mortgage HQ and how he was struggling. So I suggested, look, come talk to Dan at the time it was and have a chat about your options. And he has a flatmate and a really good friend of his. Um, I won't know his name, but uh, Dan floated the idea of why don't you guys buy together? Awesome earnings, really good deposit. You guys are best friends anyway. And the first biggest question came up straight away. I was like, yeah, but what happens if we do fall out? Now, property relationship agreements come into play. There's always agreements behind that can look after. So it's not just your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousins, your uncles. It can also work with friends as well. And I think that is something that people look past a lot, that they don't think, look, how can I use my friends and how can we all get a piece of the pie at the same time when the opportunity is there? I think it's a fantastic way to do it. That's a very great idea, Andy, because if you're not sort of like in the Asian culture, then I guess for the Pakias or my white friends here, <laughs> Dan actually came on one of the episodes and he bought a house with his colleague, right? So we actually done that before and if you're more independent just shoulder tap and actually the other uh, advisor David he had the same sort of thing going for him like he had four people buying one property so that's quite interesting there's many ways to sort of look at this but essentially putting more savings away first that's the first thing and then figuring out what sort of strategy and who you can bring to the table I think that's a really good way to look at it so following on the next question how can first home buyers leverage the expertise of professionals like mortgage advisors to navigate the buying process successfully yeah it's actually funny because I had this question uh, the other day from a client of mine and it was also around like why you and I'll, I think I'll touch on that at the end like why we are different but I think it's ultimately options right options first and foremost is, is critical whether that be the lender that you go with the banks the person you're dealing with there's so many different options available to people that they don't even know what is out there so speaking to somebody who does this day in day out and talks to hundreds if not thousands of people on a yearly basis they know what the options are based on the information they give us straight away. So there's no, oh, I might try this bank or oh, I might try this place. There's no two, three, four multi-applications. It's we know where you need to go. So I think that's the first thing. The second one is it is a daunting process. And even myself, like when I went through my process, it, it was scary, man. And I'm in this industry, you know, it was scary. So having the assistance of my mortgage advisor that was here to guide me through that process. So I knew what was coming next. So you know, putting a conditional offer on a property without even having finance, for example, didn't know that was possible, but it is. It most certainly is if you condition for it. So feeling that comfort that these guys or the guy in which I used had done it before was, I think, the that the godsend for me. It was just really important that I had someone in my corner that I could trust. And then the third one, I think now, sorry, back to that as well, looking at investments and how I can leverage, having guys that have done that already, you know, like you've got yourself or you've got some of the guys here are three, four, five years younger than me and 
and have a multitude of properties, which is, it's crazy. It's so awesome. So knowing that we've got so many different areas of expertise that people have done it, I think it's important. But the most important is the structure, the final, the future goals and outside the box thinking. And you touched on, we touched on earlier, like using friends, family to get into a property. But I think people forget how or don't know how important a mortgage structure is. It's not just fixing now and thinking about the now. In my opinion, it's about understanding where you want to go. Like, what are your future goals? If you want to create financial freedom, what do you have to do to get there? And much, which is why we're very much an educational business. But some people out there and listening today will only want to get their first home and pay that down as quick as possible. That's okay. If that's your goal, that's completely fine. But if that isn't your only goal, then how are you going to get there? So I think structuring your mortgage to utilize likes of a revolving credit or an offset facility, the proper way to use a credit card so you maximize the money in your account to offset interest. I think that is the, the biggest driver to helping people get to where they want to go. That's awesome. Well, finally, we have Wealth HQ. So maybe you can tell us a little about what you guys can do, what yourself, you know, what roles you play and how do you guys help the home buyers? Yeah, of course. And I might go back to the story, which I was about to tell based on the client, which I spoke to last week. And she asked this question at the very end. We had an awesome session. It was it was really informative she was on board, but she goes, hey, Andy, like, why would I choose to go with Wealth HQ? Why would I choose to go with you? In my opinion, it's quite simple, right? She'd been to a bank. They said no. She walked out the door without any direction, any understanding, had no idea what to do, right? And she's maybe not there yet, but she wasn't taught or told the tools to help her get there. So when we sat down, we spoke about her existing position. We spoke about how she can accelerate her journey and how long it will take her to get to where she wants to if she implements what we call the income allocation theory. And that income allocation theory is all about breaking your income into buckets, finding out where disposable income is going, and then putting a lid on that bucket and helping accelerate the journey. So we never ultimately say no. We just give people a realistic time frame so they can set their expectations, set their goals, and get there, opposed to feeling dejected or deflated when they talk to somebody who might say, you can't do this, come back when you're ready. But how do you know when you're ready if you're not getting the education and the help and the guidance? And fundamentally, we do that and we hold our clients' hands through the entire process until they are ready to purchase. And honestly, there's nothing better. It's such a really good feeling to see somebody go from not there yet to us maybe saying to them, look, have you looked for similar jobs in the same industry or talk to your boss about a pay rise? You know, cheeky, but other ways to get ahead. And little things like that have really accelerated people ahead. And yeah, I think that's more what sets us apart from everybody else in the industry is we just dive deeper and we have the tools and we've got the staff, we've got the people here that really care. And that fundamentally for me is is it. So it sounds like it's more than just getting the loan, you're providing guidance and advice. Do you guys charge for that? Like how does it actually work in the industry? Yeah, great question. So uh, we only get paid when a client comes to us and actually settles on a property. So we don't charge a fee up front. We deal with hundreds and hundreds of people on an ongoing basis. So we've got a lot of people we're working with. We build a plan and we only get paid when that person buys that property. So it's in our best interest to get there as quick as possible and it's their best interest to purchase a property as quick as possible. So our goals are mutually aligned, which is the one part that I love because if we charge the fee up front and we didn't deliver on our promise, then that person is no better off than when they came to us. And that's fundamentally one of our massive, massive goals is we're very much a value-based business, as you know, and making sure that someone comes to us and gets the expectation or gets that outcome that they've dreamed of is extremely important. So that's how we've structured our remuneration model to work for our clients as well. Is it just the mortgage side? Like what else do we do? 
Yeah, so we do the money management that we've talked about. We settle the loans. We protect people's journey as well. So insurance is one of those. And like, let's be honest, it's a dirty word for a lot of people, but it's a dirty word because people haven't had the right outcome because they've not been in the right place to begin with. So we do provide some education and advice on the insurance. So if someone's looking to purchase a property and might not be there, we can help protect that journey for them. So if they did fall ill, then we could protect them. And an analogy I use a lot, which I love is let's pretend we're a couple and we have our incomes, which is the engines of a plane, right? You take off, you're flying, you're going towards your destination, you put the turbo boosters on, you keep going. But one of those engines falls off throughout that journey. The plane has to turn around and land, right? It's only on the ground for as long as it, it's on the ground for as long as it needs to be until it's ready to take off again. We don't know how long that journey is going to be, but that destination is getting further and further and further away. Way. So what we focus on is making sure that we can bolt on a new engine and get them moving in the right direction as quick as possible. But we know people out there have insurance. We know some have great protection. So it's just making sure sometimes that it's the right type. So we do that. And the last one that we do look at, so the last two is the KiwiSaver. I mentioned earlier that we do help accelerate people's KiwiSaver, whether it be through the right fund, the right provider, the contribution or the voluntary contribution. And the last one is asset finance. So no doubt people out there paying 17, 18, 19% for a vehicle that they've just got on tick. And look, some people have to do that to get to A to Z if they don't have the money. But a lot of people out there charge extraordinarily high interest rates for what is actually available in the market. So there are areas there we can cut that down, put more money into people's back pockets and get them moving. That's awesome. Very good insight, Andy. So if someone wants to get in touch, how do they get started? Yep. So you can visit whq.co.nz. Straight there will tell you exactly what the process is and you'll book a 10-minute call or you'll download our Mojo map. Following that, Sophia will get on the phone and book you in with one of our financial advisors once she's ran you through. That is the easiest and best way to get in touch with us is via our website, whq.co.nz. Thank you very much, Andy. So if you guys are looking to get into your home faster, don't forget to reach out and stay tuned for more episodes of the Home Seeker Podcast, where we continue to provide valuable information and support you as a first home buyer. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with just one person if you have found value. Until next time, I'll see you guys again.